It's time for The Outspoken Cyclist, your weekly conversation about bicycles, cyclists, trails, travel, advocacy, the bike industry, and much, much more. You can subscribe to our weekly podcast at OutspokenCyclist.com or through your favorite podcatching app to listen anytime. Now here's your host, Diane Jenks. Welcome to The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm your host, Diane Jenks. This is our second of a four-part series on holiday gift-giving and receiving with a smattering of cool stories mixed in. Thanks for joining me today. In our last episode, we spoke about the Davis Finney Foundation and all the great work they're doing for folks with Parkinson's disease. That immediately turned into an inquiry to Polly Dawkins, the executive director of the foundation, for a fundraising event for 2023. It makes me feel really good that we, you, can have that kind of impact. So today, we're talking with Dave Weens, the executive director of IMBA, the International Mountain Biking Association, and his thinking about mountain biking and how to support trails and paths right in your own backyard and beyond. IMBA is a multi-layered organization that can assist with so many aspects around trails. From planning and permits to building and maintenance, IMBA has programs, grants, and resources. Executive Director Dave Weens will join me to unpack all the options for you, from getting involved as a volunteer to becoming a trail champion and more. Then in the second part of our show, we're going to speak with Dave Cavallari, the slow guy on the fast ride. He's going to offer up his thinking about gifts we might all like to get, and you might want to write some of them down. This will be the first in a three-part series. Dave Weens has to be one of the best spokespersons for an organization I've ever met. He lives, breathes, and rides IMBA and I always learned so much from him about the organization and his commitment to bringing more trails to more people. In this conversation, he explains all the programs and the ways in which you can participate. Hi, Dave. Welcome back to The Outspoken Cyclist. Good to see you. How's everything going with IMBA? Uh, Everything's going really well, Diane. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate that. Well, you know, this time of year, we like to do gift giving ideas because people do their charitable giving at the end of the year, usually. So we want to give them some options. And I think IMBA is one of the uh, organizations that we, you and I never really talk about that part. We always talk about the cool things you're doing, like the trails and the, and, you know, assisting all of the um, areas around the country who do trail work and, you know, we talked last time about fat riding, you know, gravel riding, how that's changing things. But I'd like to talk a little bit about how IMBA is supported and how my listeners can support the work that you're doing. You bet. No, that's great. Um, and we really appreciate that. You know, mission, uh, IMBA's mission is to create, protect, and enhance great places to ride. And as you mentioned, that work really just entails helping communities all across the country um, realize trails and expand areas to ride to ride mountain bikes. So really, our focus is what we call more trails close to home, because as much as we all like to travel and ride, and you and I were just talking about that, uh, we end up riding our, our, our home trails probably 95% of the time. And having those great opportunities close to where we live 
is so important, particularly if we can, you know, roll away from our homes and get to the trails, either on hard infrastructure or protected bike lanes, or, you know, some lucky folks live really close to the trails. Um, but more trails close to home is really everything that we do um, ladders down under that. Um, but as far as the giving, yeah, this is the end of the year giving. It's on a lot of people's minds. And, um, you know, what I like to think about in, in the mountain biking world is um, and, and coming from skiing, uh, I like to, to compare it to the season pass. And so these days, most people have a season pass and it's either an Epic or an Icon and it allows them to, to go ski or snowboard at a, a bunch of different areas. And it's, you know, 500, 700, 800 dollars. And, you know, people don't even blink at that. And I've always said, if somebody waved a magic wand and said, guess what? Now you have to buy a season pass to go mountain biking and it's going to be $500. Mountain bikers would not quit riding their mountain bikes. They would say, who do I make the checkout to? And so I think that that's really important to recognize that so many of the opportunities we have to ride are free to us, but they're certainly not, you know, appearing magically on the ground and there are costs associated with that. So um, I like to talk about, you know, the advocacy or the mountain biking budget. And in, in addition to the other charitable causes that Susan and I support, we'll sit down and we'll talk about mountain biking. And, you know, if people ask me, Dave, I'm really going to support one mountain biking organization. Who should I support? I'll always tell them to support their local organization where they ride. So uh, first and foremost, we support Gunnison Trails because that's the organization right here in town. But we ride Crested Butte a lot. and They're uh, 30 miles up the road. So we support the Crested Butte uh, Mountain Bike Association as well. Then we've picked a couple other um, local mountain bike organizations that, that we really like to support. Beyond the local level, there's the state and regional level, which is really important. And it's becoming more important all the time. And that could be uh, the California Mountain Bike Association. Colorado is, is working on forming right now. They haven't quite formed yet, so there's no place for us to, to send that check to to support them. But you've got Evergreen Mountain Bike Alliance in Washington State. You've got the New England Mountain Bike Association in New England, the Vermont Mountain Bike Association, um, SORBA, the Southern Off-Road Bicycling Association. And those are uh, around 50 IMBA chapters. So when you support them, you're supporting SORBA indirectly, the Michigan Mountain Biking Association. Uh, there's more and more of these, these state and regional organizations popping up all across the country. And they're really helpful because if you have the local, the state or regional, and the national, if you have that trifecta working together, it's so powerful. And we're really seeing that offer a lot of opportunities in California, which has been notoriously difficult um, for, for trail development. Washington State has, has had it going on really well for a long time, as have Vermont um, and New England and Oregon and Michigan and, and others that I'm probably missing, but we're working with other states and regions to develop that sort of that level between. So uh, it's really important if you live in a state that has that, you know, consider supporting that, that state or regional organization. And then um, at the top of that is supporting national. And, and that's where IMBA comes in. So my wife, Susan, and I, we're both, um, or together, we're members of IMBA Single Track Society. You know, that's a, that's a higher level of giving. It, it starts at $1,000. Uh, and certainly that isn't uh, a requirement to support, but just for your listeners to know that that kind of a, a philanthropic society exists within IMBA. And we do so, we could do some fun get togethers. We had three this year. We got together in St. George, Utah. We got together in Stowe, Vermont, and we just got back from a weekend in Bentonville, Arkansas. I have a question about the state level organizations. Is there a list of them somewhere on IMBA's site, perhaps? Wouldn't that be a good idea if there isn't? No, absolutely. It is. It's a, it's a great question. And it's, uh, it's, 
it's not new, but I think the emphasis and the focus on them is new. And then to try to pull that together as a, uh, a national list would be a would be a fantastic idea. If, if people do a search, I think they can find that information relatively quickly. And again, not every state has organized. Right. Not yet. That would be a way to find out, I guess. Yeah. You bet. Okay. You bet. That's one of the things we're working toward. In some states, it's housed under maybe a broader cycling coalition. Um, but, but great question. And, and we'll work on that. And, and um, two, when you're looking for your local organization, EMBA probably only represents half of the local organizations in the United States. And those others, um, you know, you just have to kind of dig through and, and find out if you have one in your local organization. Sometimes they're not always a mountain biking association. Sometimes they're a trail organization. Then they focus on mountain biking, hiking and trail running or there's equestrian uses. So the, the organizations, um, there's different types. So, so it's, you know, it takes a little digging to find them. But it's so vital to support um, those local organizations. And the same thing is really starting to happen at that state level, because the state can uh, state level organization can be so impactful, bringing together all of those disparate voices um, to one voice at the, at the state capital level for funding, for you know, project approval, for access. There's so many there's so many things. Um, well, that was going to be my next question. Offering a, a charitable go- donation to either local, state, or even at the elite level, the national level, what happens to that money? Where is it going to go? Well, I can't speak for the local organizations or the state organizations. Each of them have their own mission. Um, but you can rest assured that if the organization is, is you know, being run uh, well, that that money's going into to good programs. For IMBA, if you uh, if you um, you're supporting our efforts to expand mountain biking everywhere, and we have a goal of impacting 250 communities with mountain biking trails by the year 2025, and we're a couple of years into that. We started it in 2020, and right now we've got 70 in the in the win column. They're done. Uh, we, we've completed projects in in these places. 80 are doing the work and nearing the finish line. And we've got nearly 400 communities that have you know, contacted us and are engaged saying, hey, we're interested in trails. Um, how do we do this? Because getting from a vision for trails and actually having finished and maintained trails on the ground, there's a whole lot in there process-wise that can be really challenging. And um, what we do is we, we focus on resourcing and coaching communities through that trail development process. And we really put an emphasis on trail champions. What we've noticed is any place that has really good trails or started really good trails, you can usually trace that to oftentimes a single individual or a small group that we call trail champions. So resourcing these trail champions and giving them the tools and the resources so that they can be successful is a big part of what, what IMBA does and what any support um, that anybody gives to IMBA would go for. And that trail development process, you know, starting with vision, um, then you go into feasibility, you know, what's possible in a given community. Sometimes it's mountain bikers who are are trail champions and they know where those those publicly accessible lands are that could potentially have trails. Other times it's just an elected official or a NICA parent or somebody who doesn't really have that knowledge and IMBA is able to help them identify parks or public lands or different places where trails could potentially go. And then it's getting that stakeholder group together, led by the trail champions, and that's elected officials. It could be city council. Uh, it could be local businesses. Um, it's very important that we engage the other trail users, the hiking and the trail running and the equestrian community in the area, because then you bring everybody together and you say, hey, we're, we're not 
always talking about just mountain biking trails. We're talking about community trails, trails for the community. That helps to aggregate funds too. Absolutely. Well, think about it. If you're coming in as the mountain bikers, you're coming in a little bit narrow. If you're coming in as community trail users, you're coming in wide. Um, and that's that's really helpful. Then, you know, working on access. Um, and that's actually having permission to build trails on any given piece of land. And that can be quite a process. And that process is, is made much easier when you have everybody at the table. Because oftentimes, if you, if you don't get the word out in a broad way, then when those discussions really start to happen and people start reading about it in the newspaper, people can come out of the woodwork and, and start to, you know, sometimes make the process a lot, a lot tougher. So bring everybody in at the beginning for the conversation. And then that's how you, you, you know, community should really say, okay, we, we know we want some mountain biking trails. What about hiking, dog walking, trail running, or equestrian is part of the mix. Let's do this. And then that leads to the next part, which is the planning is so important. And that's something that didn't used to happen. There wasn't a lot of trail planning that would happen. You know, people would just kind of go out and trails would be built sort of in a, in a you know, relatively unsophisticated fashion. Now, the, the, the professional trail build planning industry is very robust. And what comes out of that is a plan that everybody can get behind. And then you can use that plan um, for, for the access piece, gaining permission, for the funding piece. It's really important. You know, any more... Mountain bikers, what we used to do is we said, hey, you know, we're going to come in, we're going to build the trails, we're going to maintain the trails, it's not going to cost anybody a dime. Well, that still exists somewhat out there, but the type of trails that we're talking about now, mountain bikers are very discerning and, and they're getting used to going to Bentonville, Arkansas, and just seeing these amazing professionally built trails. So now we're talking about professional, professionally built infrastructure. But when we also are starting to talk about municipalities, parks and rec programs, they, they don't bat an eye at something because they're used to building pickleball courts and swimming pools and ice rinks and things like that. And here's something that actually has a lot more of a broader appeal in their community to their citizens and visitors. And, and that's what the trails are. So then that fundraising um, component comes in and we help resource and coach communities on fundraising. And sometimes it's, it's bringing communities together so that instead of being fragmented and isolated, they can come together for some of the larger pots of money that are out there. Um, sometimes it's actually connecting funds to a specific community that can help them. And then it's educating them on how to go about um, looking for that funding from the philanthropic options to corporate foundation options, to family foundations, uh, to federal funding, state funding, local funding. There's a lot of funding out there, but it's, it's, an, it's a daunting task to bring it together. So uh, we continue to get better at helping communities with that funding piece and if you can get through all of those steps, and there's a lot there, as you can see. So, you know, it's not as easy as saying, hey, let's just go build some trails. Right. And then when you do get to the construction stage, you're kind of almost done because you have permission, you have community will, you have the funding, you have a plan in hand, and you build the system. And then stewardship is what wraps it all together. And that's how are you going to take care of the trails once they're built? And that's where volunteerism can come in, but not exclusively because, you know, there aren't volunteers mowing lawns at the ball field. There aren't volunteers dumping chemicals into the swimming pools. And some of these trails are becoming so complex. Like if it's a, if it's a, a, a very technical jump line, you don't want volunteers maintaining something like that. You need professional maintenance. So we always talk about a line item in a budget for maintenance. It's not just how much money we need to build. Then just like the pickleball course, the rec centers, the ball fields, there's a line item for maintenance annually on those. And you can certainly bring volunteers into that. Um, but it's important that that that, um, that professional maintenance um, 
is at least considered uh, for, for these big, big systems. And the type of mileage we're talking about that communities are desiring, there's just no way that volunteers are going to be able to stay up on top of that. They can certainly tackle chunks of it in certain types of trails. But again, some of the more sophisticated trails become really challenging for volunteers um, to maintain. So then another program that kind of fits within that, that their money could be helping us with is the Trail Accelerator Grant. And this is a pool of money that we have and communities will apply for this grant funding that will allow them to produce a trail plan because that's a big step uh, for communities. And if they can get over that hurdle, oftentimes uh, a lot of things start to fall in place for them because they have a better opportunity creating the community well, finding the funding, getting the, the access and the permission because they have a, a professional plan done by landscape architects and civil engineers. And uh, IMBA, it's a 50-50 match. So IMBA will put up 50% of the cost of the plan, um, which is done by IMBA Trail Solutions, our planning department. The community puts up 50%. And um, what we've seen is a lot of those communities that we've already put in the wind column actually took advantage of our Trail Accelerator Grant program. So anybody out there that has a community that's looking for some planning, uh, take a look at IMBA's website and look at the Trail Accelerator Grant and you know, start to think about you know, putting together your, your crew of trail champions. I mean, that's another way that you can help without sending any money is by contacting NIMBA and just saying, hey, we're a community you know, anywhere USA and we're interested in trails. Um, we think we can put together that stakeholder group and we'd love to, to get into this pipeline, this process, please help us out. Uh, and the Trail Accelerator Grant is, has been a really successful program. We're uh, three or four years into it now, and we award uh, twice a year generally. And um, you know, we've awarded those planning grants all around the country. And our planning um, shop is, is doing, I think, over 100 trail plans a year. So there's a lot of great planning going on out there. And, and really, it's tough to build until you have that plan. Um, then beyond that, something else that we're really excited about that, that we formed is um, and this is historic. No one has had ever done this before, but EMBA pulled together a multi-use trail user coalition. So we brought hikers, trail runners, equestrians, even motorized users together to form a group to really talk about how can we make trails better for all users across the line? Because during the pandemic, trails got really crowded and people's experience was kind of suffering in some places. But trail use was already on, on the uptick way before the pandemic. So there was already a lot more interest in trails. Um, and I wonder why. Well, because they make people happier, they make people healthier, and there's a, a community economic development part of that. So trails are really, I mean, they're win, win, win all around. So we're not going to see um, trail use going down anytime soon. So bringing this whole, this coalition together to try to determine how can we make trail, you know, trails work better for everybody. Um, the group came up with the name Trails Are Common Ground, and really the, the three pillars of trail our common ground are first and foremost inclusivity, making sure that everybody feels welcome and safe at trailheads and on trails and that trails, you know, reflect what our country looks like. Um, the second piece is really just good old fashioned etiquette. But instead of finger wagging and rules, it's based on kindness, awareness and knowledge uh, in that order. You know, first and foremost, be kind. If you're kind out there, you're probably not going to get into a conflict. If you're aware of your surroundings, and don't just stick in your podcast or your heavy metal and zone out and act as if you're the only trail user out there. If you're aware while you're out there, much like when you drive an automobile, that's going to make things work much better. And then the, the third piece is knowledge. You know, you really need some knowledge, especially if you're riding a horse, riding a mountain bike, 
uh, riding any sort of motorized um, vehicle on trails, uh, but even trail running and hiking, you should have some knowledge on what do I do if I hear a mountain biker coming or a mountain biker comes up behind me or I see a horse. So, and that knowledge isn't just a simple thing that we can download in, in 30 seconds and you're good to go. In fact, I've been you know, a trail user for a long time and I'm still you know, shoring up my knowledge of, of how to you know, best interact with other trail users and what to do out on the trails. Um, and then the third pillar of Trails Are Common Ground, which we get the most excited about, has to do with trail planning. And it's how we can separate use at times for better experiences for everybody. So we might have a multi-use landscape where all of the different trail activities are allowed. But within that, we might have some hiking, running only trails where mountain bikes aren't allowed. And so a hiker or a trail runner can get on a trail or even an equestrian and they can relax a little bit because they're, they're not, they're not you know, that worried about a mountain biker coming around the corner. At the same time, we might have some, some pockets of mountain bike only and directional trails so that mountain bikers can actually let go of their brakes and more confidently ride a trail at a little higher speed. I mean, mountain bikers, you know, we, we like to ride. Uh, it's a faster use than trail running and hiking and, and equestrian use. And so when we have directional trails that are for mountain bikes only, we're just a lot more, uh, we have a better time and, and it's safer too. So if you're taking all of those elements and putting them into a system, you might certainly still have some shared use trails. I've experienced this in places where, hey guys, we've got to we've got to slow down here because there's a lot of vegetation and there's blind corners. But all of a sudden then you get to a point where as a hiker or a trail runner, you can relax a little bit because you're on a trail where bikes aren't allowed. And as a mountain biker, you're on a trail where it's directional and it's for bikes only. And there's some really good examples. The upper Midwest is doing a really good job uh, of, of separating this use in places. And again, it's a multiple use landscape, but pockets of separate use within it. And that's where, when we really sharpen our pencil on planning and we get all the stakeholders in the conversation, we can do some amazing things. And one of the best examples of this is a, a trail system called the Corner Canyon Trail System in Draper City, Utah. And it's suburban Salt Lake. So it's really busy. Uh, folks in, in the Salt Lake Valley are just crazy about the outdoors. And you've got tons of hikers, tons of dog walkers, lots of trail runners, lots of mountain bikers. The NICA League is the biggest NICA League, the high school mountain biking league in the state uh, and, and equestrian users too. And they've got this you know, it's 50 or maybe it's even a hundred miles of trails that are readily accessible to a huge population that have some trails that are shared, but then you have pockets of separate use. And IMPA designed this, this trail system 15 years ago. So this is something that our, our, you know, our planning and design gurus have been, uh, have known for a long time, but we're really starting to get that trail modernization piece out. So um, any support for IMBA in part at least supports the Trails Are Common Ground movement. Uh, and by beyond that, you know, our EMBA government affairs department is really important. I mean, you know, in, in short, they raise the profile of mountain biking and trails nationally. Uh, they do this very specifically by gaining, maintaining and protecting access for mountain bikes. There's a couple pieces of legislation that are out there right now. The BOLT Act, that acronym stands for Biking on Long Distance Trails Act, a really cool piece of legislation that IMBA wrote years ago and kind of got um, it resurfaced uh, and it talks just about, you know, creating these long distance trails for, for bikepacking and just connecting communities. Uh, that's something that, that, you know, that may even pass in the lame duck session. I think it, it's, it's possible that could pass. Uh, the Bonneville Shoreline Trail Enhancement Act, that's uh, just a wilderness boundary adjustment that would open up a trail that now you can ride your bike along it and then all of a sudden it's closed for a quarter mile on either side because a wilderness corner kind of creeps down. 
right next to Salt Lake City, Utah. I mean, there's multi-million dollar homes right there in neighborhoods. So what we've said is, hey guys, let's just bump this, this border up above the trail. So we have the connectivity of this, what ultimately is gonna be like a 250 mile trail in the Salt Lake Valley. And then uh, there was a, you know, a piece of, of an old Boy Scout camp somewhere else that then became wilderness. So it was a good, it was a good trade. So that piece of legislation is out there. And there are other places around the country where it just makes sense to move some boundaries to allow some access that probably was meant to be there. But the, the maps were drawn before the, these days of GIS and just a couple little boundaries end up encroaching on a trail and it's enough to close the trail completely to mountain bikes. Um, so those are just a couple examples of legislation and things that our, our government and the fair folks are doing. And uh, any support for EMBA, um, you know, goes to, to, you know, a number of different, you know, projects. Now, and then on the state and regional planning too, we're, we're uh, you know, we're, we're trying to broker agreements and bring those, those organizations together. Um, you know, EMBA played a part in the formation of, of, of CAMTV, the California organization. And, um, you know, we're doing it in other places too. So I feel like we're doing a lot of great things to advance mountain biking and trails across the country. And, um, you know, any support from your listeners uh, is much appreciated. We've been speaking with Dave Weens. He's the executive director of IMBA. It's IMBA.com. We will post links to most of what we talked about today. If you are thinking of gift giving this holiday season and you like riding trails, walking trails, running trails, riding your horsey on the trail, walking your dogs. I mean, we do all of those things. Uh, it, I think that it's okay to support all that. I think it's important that you show your support. Dave, thank you so much. I hope you and Susan have a great holiday and we will talk again probably in the spring to see what's new with Imba. Thanks again, Diane. You have a great uh, rest of your day and year. It's almost over. <laughs> it is, it is. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Dave Weens joined me from his office in Gunnison, Colorado. When you sit down to make those year-end contributions and you ride paths, trails, and gravel, maybe you want to write one of those checks to IMBA. The different programs Dave mentioned are listed with links on our website, OutspokenCyclist.com. Let's take a break, and when we return, we're going to speak with the slow guy on the fast ride, Dan Cavallari, about his picks for things he believes are best in show for 2022. You're listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. We are back on The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm Diane Jenks. I called on Dan Cavallari to pick some great gift ideas this year because his garage, which is also his office, his studio, and the general store for bike stuff, is packed full of goodies, and lucky guy that he is, he gets to test them all. This is part one of a three-part series of gift ideas for the holidays. Hey, Dan, welcome back to The Outspoken Cyclist. I want to talk about gifts for cyclists right now. What do you think? I, I have a, a good list going here. <laughs> do you really? Okay. So I thought we would do it in like parts. One that things that people really need, things that would be nice to have and things that ain't worth having. Okay. <laughs> so I figured, you know, you get to test all kinds of stuff. I do. So um, let's talk about what's on your list. What's at the top of your list right now? 
Well, so the, the funny thing about what I do is my Christmas list list just shows up intermittently throughout the year, which is kind of cool. <laughs> so like I wanted, I buy it. So hello, yeah. Merry Christmas to me. Yeah, right. it's already in my garage here. Um, but I thought I thought, you know, for the need category, like what do you need in 2023? Um, I got I got kind of a, a, a wide range of prices. Do you want me to start with super expensive or super inexpensive? Take your pick. All right, super inexpensive. Okay. I've tested a lot of uh, lights, and I think uh, I will not ride on the road without one uh, anymore. And no, my, me neither. My favorite, and I've tested a lot of them. Keep in mind, uh, is my is the Night Rider Sentry Arrow. It's a rear light. It's forty five dollars. And what I love about this thing is that it it's super well, obviously it's super bright, but it also uh, it it shines light to the the sides as well, not just back. Um, so I I use that on anytime I'm going to be on road, whether it's on my gravel bike or on my road bike. That one's always on my seat post. So that's like no brainer, 45 bucks. Just, just buy it. There's no reason not to. Um, and, and anybody will be happy with that because it's just so useful. So okay. now it's rechar- rechargeable. It is rechargeable. It's USB rechargeable. Uh, okay. comes two silicone bands. So it'll go around just about any seat post you can, you can think of. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been awesome. I've been using it for several years now and I've tested a lot of lights in the meantime. It's still my favorite. Okay. And so that's a rear lamp. Correct. Yep. Flashing. Uh, it does have a flash setting. It's got several settings, in fact. Uh, okay. But yes, one of them is flashing. Okay, very cool. Well, that sounds like a, a stocking stuffer or wrap it up and put it under the uh, Hanukkah bush. Totally, totally. Right. You want to go a little more expensive? Um, it, you know, okay, first of all, anybody listening, be honest with yourself. How long have you been riding your helmet? <laughs> it's oh. time for a new helmet. I, you know hard. what? It's so interesting. People over the years have said to me, well, how long is the helmet good? And I said, well, first of all, the first time you fall, that's it. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. But that's really a question that that is hard to answer. So what do you think about that? Obviously, you're thinking new helmet. Yeah, of course. Yes. Uh, I think for me, you know, helmets are expensive, so it's not something you want to buy. You know, you don't want to have to buy one. But frankly, if you've had any impact at all, whether it was a crash, whether you dropped it. It, whether you've been riding it for five, 10 years, it's time to get a new helmet. Right. Uh, it's and, and honestly, if, if for nothing else, then there's just so much new technology that makes helmets more comfortable, safer, uh, better fitting. I mean, it's just time. So Jiro's got a couple good ones and, and it's always a fit thing. Some people really fit well in Jiro. And if you don't fit well in Jiro, you tend to fit well in Bell or something else. My favorite helmet right now is the Jiro Eclipse Spherical, uh, which is 250 bucks. So it ain't cheap. But it's uh, it's very cool looking. It's got MIP spherical, which is kind of like a, a ball and socket thing. You know, the the outer shell rotates over the the inner shell in a ca- in case of a crash, and that mitigates like the rotational forces in the very first split second of a crash. So it's really neat technology. And Giro to me has always been super comfortable. Um, but if you don't want to spend that much, Giro also has a pretty inexpensive lineup right now of one size uh, fits all helmets, and. Me uh, and a few of my testers for my website, Slow Guy on the Fast Ride and, and Dawn Patrol MTB, we tested some of them and we were all we were all pretty skeptical about the one size fits all thing. They're actually super comfortable. Uh, they're they're not that much heavier than the high end helmets, and they're really affordable. So there's really no excuse not to get a new helmet this year. I think that's that's a pretty solid choice too. Can I, can I put a plug in for a helmet accessory? Absolutely. So I don't know if people know this, and if you have one, thank you for buying one. But Brian and I developed the Hubbub Helmet Mirror. 
Ooh, cool. Yeah, I should send you one. You should try it. I know a lot of people think that helmet mirrors are really geeky, but I also know a lot of people whose lives have been saved by that split sure. second of being able to look behind you and go, oh, what is that? That's It's like a, a mammoth truck. Yeah. But um, it's very light and it fits about every helmet out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's all American made. I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm very geeky. So this will be perfect. Well, then I will ask you, and it also comes in colors, gray, yellow, or white. So Ooh. it can match your helmet. It can match your bike. It can disappear. But okay. I don't think you'd drive your car without a rear view helmet and rear view mirror. So that's sort of my uh, rationale for mm-hmm. saying, just try it. If you don't like it, you can send it back. And that is always what we've said. If it doesn't work for you, not a problem. We take them back for whatever. And if you break it, we'll replace it because some people just insist on yanking it, you know, and, and but it, it's really, it's a great mirror and I will send you one. You'll just have to tell me what color and it's 30, it's 34 95. Oh, that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's another one. That's, there's really no reason not to try it. Right. right, yeah. right. Okay. Moving on. Just thought I'd do a shameless self-promotion plug. <laughs> well, okay. So do you want the, the big expensive uh, Let's gift? Let's go for the big number. Okay. So this is like a life changer kind of thing. This is, this is basically you're, you're ready to, to make a lifestyle change. And I, um, I happen to test a lot of e-bikes and I love e-cargo bikes. And now I've tested quite a few of them and there's a lot of good ones. Uh, the urban arrow gets a lot of press, uh, and it is a wonderful, wonderful bike, but my favorite so far has been, uh, the, uh, Yuba, uh, supercargo. Uh, I want to make sure I get the, the name right. Supercargo CL. And it, it's it's pretty expensive. It starts at $6,000. But this is like vehicle replacement. And here's here's something interesting that I'm going to be doing this winter is, now I just bought a new truck and I regret it immediately. <laughs> you also old. named it so it belongs yeah. to you. You know, you shouldn't yeah. name it if, if you were going to give it back. But well, ahead. my daughter named it. She didn't give me an opportunity not mm. to. <laughs> right. It wasn't you. Yeah. Okay. But my long-term plan is to, is just to go down to one car in the family. My wife has a car as well. So the truck I don't think is going to be in my driveway very long. And I don't drive it all that much. All my trips are pretty short within two to four miles. And I think uh, the Supercargo CL from Yuba is the perfect vehicle for me. So my challenge to myself this winter is to start riding the cargo bike uh, instead of driving the truck. Uh, and I'm doing this purposely in the winter because, uh, you know, a little bit of, of self-loathing, I guess, <laughs> but, uh, you know, as a test and, uh, and I've ridden the Supercargo CL pretty extensively and it, my daughter loves it. She loves riding in the front. Uh, and, and we can go to grocery stores. We can, we can get around basically anywhere we want to go, uh, for, for local trips. So Yuba Super, Supercargo CL has been my favorite cargo bike. And, uh, and I think, you know, if you're looking for a lifestyle upgrade, this is the one to go with. So let me ask you a couple of questions about it. Um, first of all, is it a what they call a class one, two, uh, you know, throttle, non-throttle, pedal assist? Right. So the, I believe I got to go back and look because I don't have it in my garage right now. It's coming to me again uh, for the second time around, but it has uh 20 mile per hour uh, assist. And so, and I, I think it has a throttle if I remember correctly, but I can't, I got to like, I have to go look. Um but, you know, it gives you all the assist you need. And one of the cool things about it is because it is a big, heavy bike, I think a lot of people worry that, oh, man, once I get to a hill, I'm going to have to push this thing up. I've ridden the car, the Supercargo CL loaded with a lot of things, including a child. Uh, and and the motor gives you plenty of assist to get up steep hills, everything. Um, so you won't have to worry about that. And I do think 
This one has a throttle, so you do have the ability to sort of give yourself that little extra boost if you're really dogging it, even in the easiest gears. Um, in any event, uh, there's plenty of, of add-ons as well. So if you've got kids, you can put them in the bucket up front, but there's also a, like a rear seat option. Uh, there's seating options in the bucket up front. There's locks. I mean, there's just so much you can do to this to make it a super commuter, basically. Is this a bike shop bike or is it an online bike? Where are you getting yours? You can do both. So um, okay. you, can order, you can order it online at Yuba Bikes, or you can also go to your local uh, dealer, which is a good idea because, uh, you know, these bikes are not super easy to build once they arrive. Uh, so it would be a smart idea to get yours at a shop if possible. And, you know, there's several local shops here in, uh, where I live. I live just outside of Denver that carry Yuba Bikes and, and can certainly build it up easily enough for me. So the, now comes a question about the battery. Um <laughs> I just, <laughs> there was some news item this past week about a battery fire yeah, somewhere. Yeah. I think it was in New York that an e-bike uh, blew up. What about the battery on, on the Yuba? Yeah. So the the thing with batteries is, you know, because e-bikes have be, have had this explosive growth. Sorry for the pun. No pun uh, intended. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, so yeah, because there's been just so much growth in e-bikes, there's a lot of kind of fly-by-night uh, options and they use cheaper batteries that um, you don't really know where they came from that you don't know how they were built you know so uh, a reputable brand is going to have a battery that you can basically trace where it came from I mean LG and Samsung uh, cells are kind of the most common um, and I think it's it's best for any consumer to make sure that you know where the battery came from you know that there's some sort of tracking uh, from the company that they know where their products are coming from. And if there's a problem that you have somewhere to bring it, that's the other thing. Uh, a lot of people will have problems with a battery and they'll just say, well, forget it. And then they'll just leave it. And that's when you start running into trouble. So a lot of uh, bike shops now that carry e-bikes have a recycling program, that have a repair program, and they have safe storage options. Uh, so for batteries that are acting up, you know, they actually have a protocol for making sure that they're stored safely uh, and that in, in the event that something goes wrong, you know, there's, they're in fire safe cabinets, things like that. Um, so there, there are ways you can protect yourself from, from all this. And keep in mind, too, that battery fires are not exclusive to e-bikes. You know, we're seeing, right. you know, cars and everything. So it is, it is a thing that happens. So as a consumer, your responsibility is basically make sure you know what you're buying and where to take it if there's a problem. Another question I have has to do with something you said right at the beginning about the Yuba, and that is that it's heavy. Yeah. So one of the things that we're finding when people bring e-bikes in for, let's just say a, a flat tire, mm -hmm. is yeah, they're heavy. So your standard bike shop stand really, unless you have one of the old giant VAR stands that weigh 350 pounds, yeah. you know, um, what about doing things like maintenance if you're doing your own and changing tires? Um, mm -hmm. How how easy is that with a, a heavy cargo bike? Yeah. I mean, it, it does depend, first of all, on the bike, but, uh, you know, let's stick with just the Yuba. Uh, there are some options. So changing a tire, uh, especially in the front is no big deal. You know, the, the Yuba has a big center stand uh, that you kick out underneath and it it's pretty stable. So the bike stands up on its own, um, which is also, by the way, great when you're loading the kids in or loading groceries. So it's nice and stable. Um, so you can pop the front wheel off pretty easily. The rear wheel takes a little bit more effort, but it's not all that difficult to get that rear wheel out either. Um, so in that sense, it's, you know, the most common things people are going to do, which is changing flats is not that difficult because it is a pretty stable bike, uh, standing on its own. 
getting it off the ground for more in-depth repairs, you're going to want to take that to a bike shop uh, and more specifically an e-bike shop because they do have special uh, work stands that can lift these heavy bikes. Okay. Well, that was pretty easy. So we've got, we've got an inexpensive light. Mm-hmm. We have a line of helmets that isn't outrageous from Jiro. They're one size fits all. I've always worn Jiro. I, I know I have a lot of customers who have bell heads and, mm-hmm. and people who have Jiro heads. Jiro yeah. tends to be a little more elliptical. Bell yes, seems yeah. to be a little rounder. And yes, then yes. you've got the Eclipse spherical and that's a MIPS helmet. Correct. So it has the new technology at 250 and then the beautiful Yuba. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, do you do you think there's a shortage of any of these things given the supply chain issue we've had over the last couple of years? I think the the only one that, that might be a question is the bikes. I think there's still a little bit of a lag time with bikes, uh, but most are most most shops are are well stocked at this point and things are sort of starting to right themselves in that supply chain world. Okay. We've been speaking with Dan Cavallari. We're talking about gift giving and the holidays are coming and you need to get your list ready. We will put links to all of these on our website. The next time we talk to Dan, we're going to talk about things that are things you might want to get instead of things you absolutely have to have. Uh, We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Diane. All right. My thanks to Dan for taking time to talk about his faves for 2022. All of these items are listed with links on our website, OutspokenCyclist.com. Thank you for tuning in today. Remember, while you're clicking away at items you might be interested in from this episode, you can also subscribe to the podcast. Our next episode features my friend and activist, artist, author, and champion of women and girls who ride bikes from Afghanistan, Shannon Galpin. Yes, there are still many who haven't made it out yet, and others who are in a sort of limbo, waiting for a country to take them in. There are also quite a few who have been resettled, and now it's time to figure out how to start over again. Then it's part two of our gift guide with slow guy on the fast ride, Dan Cavallari. We'll see what he really likes, super cool items that would be great to have. I hope you have a great week. This show is dropping on Thanksgiving, so I hope you and yours are feeling love and gratitude this year. Stay well, stay safe, and remember, there is always time for a ride. Bye-bye. Joining us today on The Outspoken Cyclist with Diane Jenks. We welcome your thoughts and contributions on our Facebook page, or visit OutspokenCyclist.com to leave a comment on any episode. We will be back next week with new guests, topics, conversations, and news from the world of cycling. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode. The Outspoken Cyclist is a copyrighted production of DBL Promotions with the assistance of WJCU-FM Cleveland, a service of John Carroll University. Thanks again for listening, ride safely, and we'll see you next week.